Today's scripture reading is from Luke, from Luke 20, verses 20 through 26. It can be found in your pew Bibles on page 744. Luke 20, verses 20 through 26. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said, so they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public, and astonished by his answer, they became silent. May God bless the reading of his word. Uh, today's sermon is going to be a little bit unusual, so let me back up and preface it with, um, you know, I grew up obviously, you know, came of age in the 60s, early 70s, and um, uh, the uh, Vietnam War was on then. And in those days, basically you had two kinds of churches. You had churches that engaged with politics, and they were really liberal churches. I mean, basically... Politics is what they engaged in and the way they tried to change society because they had lost their confidence and faith in the gospel pretty much. So without, if you're not going to be preaching the gospel, what are you going to do? So, so they um, got involved in politics and there would be churches organizing Vietnam War demonstrations and preaching against the, the, the war in Vietnam and that kind of thing. And then there were other churches. So when I became a Christian about 1971, you know, the, the tradition I was part of was very, uh, Bible salvation oriented. And so what we said, basically, the way we operated was to say, first you have to change human lives one by one. And then changed individuals change society. And so there was basically this division between liberal churches that engaged with political issues and conservative churches that stayed away from politics and simply preached the gospel and salvation and that sort of thing. This is an unusual, historically, internationally, if you look at it either through the stretch of history or if you look at it around the world, this is very unusual to try and keep these two lives or two parts of our lives separate, politics and religion. And in fact, the question that Jesus was posed in this morning's text was a political question not a purely religious one. It, had, it was religious and political both. And the answer he gave in this morning's text was both religious and political. And it really, for us, it boils down to the question, which is the title of your sermon. Uh, do, does Jesus permit us to protest against the government? There are other ways to ask the same question. Occupy Wall Street was, or Occupy Boston was broken up a month or two ago. Would it be legitimate for individual Christians to support Occupy Boston? 
or since we have a lot of people who are familiar with the situation in China, would it be legitimate for Christians to join the protests when they were held at Tiananmen? A little closer to home because many of us had followed this. Would it be legitimate for the Shawang Church to challenge the government over where they can meet and when, or any other church? Or was it legitimate for the Anglican, Anglican Archbishop, the head of the Anglican Church in South Africa, Desmond Tutu, was it legitimate for him to lead the anti-apartheid demonstrations and, and movement? Should churches, should Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, evangelical churches have been involved in the civil rights movement of the 1960s? You realize, for the most part, we weren't. I mean, you weren't here, your families weren't here. You know why your families weren't here, right? Because the immigration laws were racist. You know why this church started in 1968? Because it wasn't until 1965, in the middle of the civil rights movement, that the American immigration policy changed to allow Asians to come back to this country, immigrate to this country again. So you realize that, you know, civil rights movement is not just for African Americans, you realize. Had we been, if we were still in the 60s, most of you guys could not be professionals. An occasional might have slipped through. But no people of color were allowed into professional ranks, except in exceptional circumstances. Should we have been involved as evangelicals? Should our forebears, our, our forefathers, should they have been involved in the civil rights movement in the 1960s? Why weren't they? Do you realize evangelicals were in the forefront of the, uh, uh, the abolition of slavery in the 1860s? The 1850s? The Underground Railroad? What happened you know, between the 1850s when, when we engaged not only in preaching the gospel, but also in, in fleshing out the gospel? And the 1960s when we, we, we kept out of that stuff. How about this? Boston, Boston Tea Party, the Stamp Act, the, the, the tea tax. Was the American Revolutionary War biblical? Should Christians in the 1700s have revolted against the UK? This is the kind of contemporary question that this passage leads us into addressing. Now, if you come out of a tradition like I've come out of, you know, I didn't anticipate that this sermon would be about this sort of thing. You know, I taught in seminary for 16 years, but mostly what I taught was uh, 1 Corinthians and Romans. You know, 16 years, I don't have them memorized, but I can handle 1 Corinthians and Romans. I didn't teach Gospels much. So all I knew about this passage when I sat down at the beginning of this week was basically what you know. Jesus says, pay taxes to Caesar. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe that's all it says, but that's pretty pedestrian. I mean... Of course you pay taxes to the government. Well, why would anyone bother asking Jesus that? And normally he handles things much deeper than in the trivial, okay, you should pay taxes. There's something else going on here. Now, so if you come from the same back, kind of background as I do, uh, some of this that we talk about may be Unsettling, I don't know. Uh, a lot of you are university students, and the whole reason you go to university is to have your frameworks exploded and then reconstructed, so maybe you'll be comfortable with, with doing things out of the ordinary. 
but at least I invite you to follow along because there's a bit of a trick in this sermon. Not a, not a, but there's a bit of a trick in this passage. And let me tell you what it is. So you can watch, so you can watch as I do it and, free, and then you've got to evaluate for yourself, was this a legitimate transition? Right. Jesus lived in a much different situation than we did. So I'm going to highlight what Jesus said in his situation. Now we live in a much different situation than what Jesus taught in. So the question is, given that in Jesus' situation, this is what he said. What would he say if he were in our situation? Would it be the same thing? So we're going to look at two different parts of this text. One is, what was the original meaning of this text? And then, given the change in our context, from his context to ours, given the changing context, what would Jesus likely say? Or how do we apply what Jesus said in that context to our own context? Right? So there's only two basic points in this sermon. First point, you know, there's a lot of detail in your outline, in your bulletin. Don't worry about it. Uh, here's the two basic ideas you've got to grab hold of. First of all, about the original meaning of the text, the main, main idea is this. This text is not about taxes. This is not about paying taxes. That's just the symbol. That's just the, the doorway. This text is about political revolution, protest, insurgency, guerrilla activity, that sort of thing. This is very much a, a text about something much bigger than, than taxes. Taxes was just a symbol to get you in the front door. And, the, and then you get in the front door and you realize the whole house opens up. And it's really a question about this. Jesus was asked, should we violently overthrow the Roman government? That was really the question he was being asked. So that's the first question, or the first point of the sermon. And the second point of the sermon is, given the fact that our context is much different, I think we are not constrained. Most of what Jesus is saying is, don't get involved in politics. I think, given the change in context, we're not constrained by that. Now, I don't know a single other time that I've stood up here before you and said, we don't have to do what Jesus said. So if I'm saying that now, you want to follow closely because I don't want to be telling you not to do what Jesus said. Really, to put it more simply, what I really think is going on here is I think that our context gives us liberty, more liberty than what Jesus' context gave them. And I'll show you why I think that. So first, this text is not about taxes. Not really. It's about political protest or even revolution. So look at the surface issue, verse 22. You know, it looks like it's about taxes, right? Is it in the NIV, uh, page 744, verse 22? Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's how the NIV reads. If you have the NIV 1984, I don't know what the NIV 2000 and whatever we are in now, 2010 means. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? What kind of a dumb question? No, you know, this is written by Jesus' opponents. Normally they're clever. If this question is just about writing taxes, and just paying taxes, well, of course you pay your taxes. You know, April 15th is coming, right? You've already got your end-of-year statements from, uh, you know, your uh, salary last year and your donations to the church and all that. You know, 
Should we pay our taxes? Of course we should pay our taxes. What's the issue? You know something else is going on here, because look at verse 20. They were plotting, incognito. They were trying to catch Jesus in something he said. Why? So they could hand him over to the power and the authority of the governor. This is political. This is not religious. You know, they've already had their argument with Jesus because he cleansed the temple. Because he threatened the destruction of Jerusalem. They've already had their religious argument with him. And there's only so far they can go. Jews in the first century actually could not kill anybody. The Roman, Roman government would not, maybe in a riot they could, but the Roman government took away the authority of the Jewish leadership, the authority to, of capital punishment. If they wanted Jesus dead, it had to be a political issue. They wanted to hand him over to the power and the authority of the government. So notice what they say to him. Verse 21. We know that you don't show partiality. Now actually, literally, it's more like a Chinese idiom. We know that you don't give face. Is what it says in the... In, you know, what they're saying is, we're going to ask you a question, and it's a political question, and it's going to go right to the top, to the emperor, to the governor... We're gonna, and we know, they're trying, you know, we, we know that you have, are so courageous and so, so much integrity that you're, you're not gonna shape your message to appeal to them. You're gonna be courageous and give us a straightforward answer. So here's our question. Is it right? Well, no, actually, again, in the Greek, it's, is it lawful? And they don't mean, is it according to the law? Because Caesar said you had to pay taxes. No, no, they mean, according to the Bible. Is it lawful? By the Old Testament law, by the Torah, by which we live, is it lawful for us to pay taxes? Now why? You see. There is only one king over Israel. The Lord God himself. And anyone then he appoints becomes a vice regent, maybe like David or Solomon. And now you've got this pagan, Roman, uh, Caesar, demanding tax. Well, actually, let me add another, one more detail that you wouldn't pick up. It's not really tax. Really, what he, what he was demanding, the question in here is about tribute. What's the difference between tax and tribute? You see? You and I, if you're working, pay taxes. We don't pay tribute. You pay tribute to an occupying country. This, some country conquers yours, and you pay them tribute. And in the first century, the Sanhedrin, one of the taxes, the Sanhedrin was responsible for collecting money from the Jewish people to give to their pagan masters, the Romans. They were charged with collecting tribute. It wasn't a lot of money. Basically, this tax, this tribute in discussion here was one day's wage for the average blue-collar worker. It wasn't a lot of money. So they aren't fighting about the money of it. What they're asking is, can we, as God-worshipping Jews pay tribute to somebody who's invaded our country, conquered our people, and who hates our God. Can we pay this money? Now notice a Jesus' answer. Oh, well, well let me show you one more thing before I... To, to show you that it's a political issue. Think, uh, you don't have to look ahead, but uh, let me refer you to later on. Uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 2. Later on in the Gospel... When these leaders take Jesus before Pilate, what did they say? What was the accusation against Jesus? 23.2 We have found this man 
subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. And he claims to be Christ our King. Do you see, in three ways, the charge against Jesus before the Roman authorities, the charge against Jesus was a political charge. It was a political accusation. He's subverting our nation. Not he's subverting our religion. He's subverting our nation. He's a subversive. He's an insurrectionist. He's a rebel. Secondly, he opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. What's the, it's not the money. I do not acknowledge that Caesar is emperor of Palestine. God alone is our king. I will not pay taxes to this pretend king. And then he claims to be Christ a king. All three respects, this was a political charge against Jesus. So when they came to him, they came with a political question. Now what I want to show you, it's also when Jesus answered, he gave a political answer. Notice what he says here. Show me a denarius. Whose portrait and inscription is on it? Two, two questions. Whose portrait is on it and whose inscription is on it? And both of those questions are really important. And I never saw the second one until this week. I didn't ever realize it was there. What you've got to understand is the, the coin. A denarius, the amount of the money they had to pay for the tax, a denarius, you know, one day's wage, a small coin, a modest coin. On the front was a picture of the emperor. Now, on the back was an inscription. And the inscription read, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. All right, here's what's going on. On the front is his picture, innocuous enough. On the back, what it says is, Tiberius, son of God. Son of the divine Augustus. You know, uh, in, in first century Roman politics, what would happen is when an emperor died, they wouldn't say he was dead, they would say he'd become divinized. So the emperor... Only when he died, generally, except a couple of megalomaniacs tried to make themselves God while they were alive. But the general system was, once the emperor died, he became divine. And the new emperor then became son of God. So this coin on the one hand has Tiberius' picture. On the flip side, on the back side, it says, Tiberius, son of God. So what is Jesus saying? What does it mean when he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, and unto God's what is God? He's making a very strong political statement in two parts. He's saying, first of all, pay your taxes. Who cares? It's, you know, it's got his picture on it. It's got his name on it. At the same time, he's saying, that inscription's false. He's not the son of God. Augustus, is not, his predecessor, is not God, and he's not the Son of God. Now, you see, this is a political statement. And it's a political statement for which Jesus could die, for which he could be executed. And it was a political statement for which Jesus was executed. You see, today we will celebrate communion, and we know that Jesus came to die for our sins, and we got that. But there's something entirely other that Jesus is doing as well, in addition to that. 
Jesus came to announce God's sovereignty, kingdom of God. God is king, and I'm his ruler. Jesus came to assert himself discreetly by implication over against the emperor, over against the governor, over against the king. Jesus is saying, this is God's world. And all human rulers and authorities submit to God. And I, not Augustus, not Tiberius, I am the son of God, Jesus is saying. So when render unto Caesar what is Caesar, yeah, give your taxes to the government. It's just money. Who cares? But give your worship. Render unto God what is God. Give your worship to God and acknowledge me. Now, let's talk about how that all applied in Jesus' time. Normally, what we pick up on, you know, and every other time I read this, I picked up on the notion that we pay taxes to Caesar. And this looks like political passivity, political non-confrontation, political compliance. Now, think about this. You understand what Israel was going through in that time. Think about Iraq. Why did Iraq want our troops out? Why were so many Iraqis trying to kill our troops? Why do a lot of Afghanistan, people in Afghanistan, excuse me, I don't know what to call them, people in Afghanistan, why do they want our troops out? You know, No country ever likes to be occupied. And, and at this time, uh, Palestine was occupied by the Romans. And so they come, and the, the leaders of the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jewish government come and say, okay, should we support this occupation? It's bad enough to be occupied, but now you've got to subsidize it. Should we pay for these hated troops to be here? They're asking a political question. And it's not a trifling question. It's a, it's a, this is, to say no is to foment rebellion against the government. Jesus says, look, it's not a big deal. Pay the tax. Pay the occupiers. Pay these pagans who've conquered God's people. Just go ahead and pay them. It's not that big a deal. So long as you worship me, worship the Father alone. Now here is where that transition comes in. Because I don't think that we're obliged to live by that kind of restriction today. And let me offer the reasons why. You can't live your life by what I tell you. You have to live by your life by what Scripture says and how you evaluate that informed opinion. And here's why I think we don't have to live by that restriction. In Jesus' day, to refuse to pay taxes became a life and death issue. If you say don't pay taxes, what you are saying is rebel against the Roman government. And there were a lot of people before Jesus and there were some after Jesus who preached rebellion against the Roman government, who, pre who practiced insurgencies. They had a group of people called Sicadi after the Sicadi was a, they were named after a dagger. They had people, Jewish zealots, who would roam the streets during festival time with daggers underneath their robes looking for somebody, either a Roman or a collaborator, to kill. And you know, this is life and death, you know, about 40 years after Jesus' time, the Romans came in because the, the Jews rebelled and they refused to pay, not only pay taxes, they threw the Romans out. And the, there was a two-year war and the Romans came in and they destroyed 
Israel. They destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. And it hasn't been rebuilt since. This is life and death. And in a life and death context, Jesus is ur urging them to pay their taxes, not to rebel. So one factor is, that guides his, his context, is are there life and death consequences to this decision? Second factor is how important is the precipitating issue? Because in this passage, he says, there's one thing you should not die for. You should not revolt against the government for this, and you should revolt against the government for this. Notice, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, pay the tax. That's not worth dying for. Render unto God what is God's, and that is worth dying for. Jesus died for it. And if you remember Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, all the early believers, they died for this. We will not worship the emperor. The emperor didn't simply want taxes. There was an emperor cult. And, he, and like in World War II Japan, you had to worship the emperor. You didn't have to believe it. You just had to worship. And Jesus said, no, we pay our taxes, but we don't worship. So the first question is, how volatile, how significant is the decision in the sense of, you know, is it a life and death issue? And now if it's a life and death issue, he says, your precipitating cause must be very important. Taxes, who cares? Give them the money. Worship, no. Revolt, die, whatever. Well, here's the, here's the one qualification. Christians are never allowed to take a life. They're only allowed to give a life. So he said, this is something you can die for. He didn't allow them to kill for it, but he said they could die for it. And when actually, that's actually the third point. I want to make about it. So here's these three points. Is how dire are the consequences? Secondly, how important is the issue? And thirdly, under all circumstances, Christians can suffer violence. They can't inflict it. That's the context in which Jesus was living and teaching and working. That's the context in which he said this. And so he says, look, if you don't pay your taxes... If I teach you not to pay your taxes, what I'm doing is I'm inciting violence against Rome. Rome will come in and it will destroy this city and this nation. And we will have to fight to defend ourselves. There will be war. Secondly, the issue is only taxes. It's not an important enough issue to go to war. And thirdly, if it comes to war, then we die. We don't kill. Emperor worship. If we refuse to worship the emperor, we will die. Jesus says, that's okay. This is an important issue. This is what we've got to do. We protest this. And then, still, we don't attack the government. We suffer the consequences of our stand. And the early church did that. Now, how about us? See, why I think... And again, this is my extrapolation, so this, you're, full, you're, you're not really free to challenge what Jesus says. You're most free to challenge what I say. But here's where our situation is obviously much different. We're not, nothing we do in protesting the government in this country is going to lead us into war. This is not life and death. So if Jesus says, pay your taxes, don't challenge or, or, or cooperate with the occupying forces because otherwise there's going to be war, it's a much different question for us. Can we protest our government? We're not going to cause civil war. We're not going to uh, create a, a war with another country. 
We have a lot more latitude because we don't live under that restriction. The second question still applies. How important is the issue? And the third point really applies. Our tactics. We don't riot. We engage in nonviolent protests. We may suffer violence, but we don't cause violence. We don't inflict violence. So let me talk about some concrete applications. What we really are trying to do is distinguish front of the coin kinds of issues from back of the coin kinds of issues. And I'm going to offer us a few examples to help you think through the process, but you're really controlled by your own thinking. Not, I mean, you really have to be governed by your own thinking, not by mine, but let me illustrate how I look at it. Taxes. Taxes today. This passage got... Taxes today is such a, a minor thing. It's got nothing to do with this passage. Their passage was about revolting against the, the, the empire. Of course we pay taxes. There's no reason not to. They would never have asked the question if they were in our situation. The Jews wouldn't have asked the question. It wouldn't have been volatile for Jesus to answer it. Of course we pay taxes. Now here's an interesting thing. It doesn't affect our lives, but an interesting idea if you like to toss around ideas. Was the Revolutionary War biblical? Should Christians have participated in the Boston Tea Party? Now, maybe a history class is taught differently, and I know we have a history teacher in this congregation, so you, know, you can tell me afterwards if history is taught differently. All I can tell you is what history was taught like in the 60s. In the 60s! Even in the 50s, I can tell you that. Somewhere back in the Dark Ages. History class, what they taught us was that these British imposed some arbitrary tax on the Americans, on the, on the colonials, and the colonials stood up for their own right. You have no right to tax us, and so they were, you know, big... You know, and then, and then of course, UK overreacted, and then we got this trouble, this war. Do you know why the British imposed that tax? Well, they tried to win the stamp tax, and that got rioted down, and then they tried the tea tax, and... Do you know why? Because they had spent seven years defending the colonies in what we typically call the French and Indian War, and their national debt had doubled in those seven years, from about $8 billion to $15 billion, no, $8 billion pounds sterling to $15 billion pounds sterling. And the UK was teetering on the edge of bankruptcy, or, you know, Great Britain was teetering on the edge of bankruptcy. And they said, look, we paid all this money to protect them. They should pay a little bit. And, of course, this whole conflagration arose. Now, there's a lot more detail, so maybe the American Revolution was perfectly biblical. I'm not trying to really settle that issue. But I'm at least saying the Tea Party, there's some questions you could ask based on this text. We weren't even an occupied country, you see. But Jesus is saying, even in an occupied country, you know, if it's life and death, if it's going to create a war, then go along with it. Now, uh, I don't know if, I, in your bulletin, at the bottom of the outline, I put a little uh, URL for a... Uh, speech that was given at the National Prayer Breakfast this week. You know, National Prayer Breakfast this week, and I'm not wild about it, it's civil religion and the whole schmiel, you know, I'm not wild. That's not the proper use of religion and politics, National Prayer Breakfast. I'm not really enthusiastic about it. I only say that because I'm going to commend something about it, and I don't want you to make think that I think the whole thing is great, but anyway, you can have your own opinion on that. Uh, Eric Metaxas was invited to give the talk, and it's 
you know, any of you guys have a real heart for evangelism and you want to know how can you say something strongly Christian that our culture will object to, but also be winsome as you do it? It's a brilliant example of being winsome and then sticking in a couple of important truths. So it's worth watching. Uh, if you get on, I don't know, one website, you start, have to start at 34 minutes. Otherwise, you've got to listen to a bunch of politicians droning on. But that little talk is useful. But here's why they asked him to speak. He wrote a book about Wilberforce. And then he wrote a book about Bonhoeffer. Now, Wilberforce, of course, was the, the leader in, in British Parliament, one of the leaders, the only guy, really. He staked his whole career and he worked his whole life to get slavery made illegal in the UK. And this was a huge issue because they thought it would bankrupt the country if you couldn't rely on slaves. And Wilberforce says it doesn't matter. Even if we bankrupt the country, we have to do this. It's human rights. Is the issue important? Oh, yeah. A lot of Christians, the vast majority of people who professed Christ and went to church in the UK wanted to keep things as they were. They said, well, Africans aren't really fully human. And don't worry about it. You know, we just got to live, live with the situation. And Wilberforce said, Wilberforce said, no. Now, he didn't start a war over it. He didn't start a civil war over it. But he worked tirelessly for his whole career. And he was on his deathbed when he got word that Parliament had voted to abolish slavery. And then Metatax's second book was about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, some of you know him, and you'll, more of you will hear about him this semester as David and, uh, David and Eric teach that Sunday school class on discipleship. Bonhoeffer was a German. He came over to the U.S. to study for a while got converted in African-American churches in New York City. And then he went back to Germany. The war was brewing. Uh, we're talking, this is the 1930s. You know, the Nazis were coming to power. And he heard about what was going on in Germany. And he, ha he could have stayed. But he said, I'm a German pastor. I have to be with my flock. He was a pastor theologian. And so he went back to Germany. And in the end, 1944, he was hanged for involvement in a plot to try and kill Hitler. Now, I'm not going to comment on the fact that he was involved in trying to kill Hitler, you know, murder somebody. But at least this much. You know, what he said was, is this an important issue? People are killing Jews. Jews for being nothing else than being Jews. The government is sanctioning the killing of Jews. And he says, this is a life and death issue. This, we, we have to stand against this. And so he stood against it. They're not fully human? No. That was the excuse given. And so there are some issues which are so important. Paying taxes, who cares? But people are being enslaved. People are being killed for nothing other than their ethnicity. And they're people made in the image of God. Jesus didn't say, cooperate with that. You know, Jesus didn't say, collaborate. Jesus said, pay your taxes. He didn't say, keep quiet no matter what goes on. And so, then Metataxes made the point, who today do people say are not entirely human, and therefore it's okay to kill them? 
and he made very brief oblique reference to abortion. There are some issues that are so important. They're not, they're not front of the coin kind of issues. They're, they're not like taxes. They're back of the coin kind of issues. Or they're issues in between the two, the front and the back. And there are some issues that are so important. You know, where we draw the line will be a challenge. Let's, you know, uh, civil rights movement in the U.S. Oh, I think evangelicals, Bible-believing churches, should still be apologetic about our passivity, typically, in the civil rights movement in the U.S. Where do we draw the line? Is it a front of the coin issue or back of the coin? Some of these issues we won't know. Climate change. My son, who's an environmentalist, told me yesterday, in the course of another conversation, that basically, climatologists, climate scientists, are basically in agreement that we have until the year 2015, or maybe 2017, until the, until the world temperature you know, reaches a tipping point from which we may not be able to bring ourselves back. And the process of global warming, melting of the polar ice caps, et cetera, et cetera, may be irreversible. So the best estimate among climatologists is that we have until 2015, 2017. Now, you know, the only issue that's really going to get played for this fall is the economy. And anything that causes our fuel prices to go up or our cost of living to go up is going to be shot down in Congress. Is this a front of the coin kind of issue, a back of the coin kind of issue? We may differ. But really, because we're not facing life and death, we're not talking civil war, we're not talking international war, we have a lot more flexibility here than what Jesus could ever have envisaged in his passage. How about Occupy Wall Street? I don't know. You know, I, I happen to read Time Magazine. Maybe you read Newsweek. But Time Magazine this week, the cover story was about some, you could say, being, fellow being lauded as a hero. Why? What did he do that made him a hero? He actually is prosecuting Three of the bankers who contributed to that mortgage meltdown crisis we had. And just for that, he gets his cover, his picture on the cover of Time Magazine. Why? Do you realize in the 1980s there was a savings and loan crisis? 200 bankers went to jail for fraud and other criminal activity. Do you realize in 2008 there was another crisis, a banking crisis, and so far nobody's gone to jail? for almost imploding the entire global economy? Shouldn't we be irate about that? You know, if we were in a culture where we would live or die by our political involvement, then you say, okay, maybe that's just like paying taxes. Never mind. They're corrupt. All right, they're getting million-dollar bonuses. They're, they're destroying the economy. Never mind. Pay them, pay them, pay them. But we're not in a live and die. Is that in front of the coin or back of the coin? Now, maybe you have a different opinion on it. Did you see the other news story this week? You know why, Margaret, uh, why Martha Stewart went to jail? 
You remember she went to jail? Remember that? I mean, some of you don't even know who Martha Stewart is. You know, Rachel Ray's older sister, Martha Stewart. <laughs> uh, Martha Stewart went to jail. I don't know, six months, you know, white collar, whatever. Because she did two things. She engaged in insider trading, and then she lied about it. And I don't know which they got her on. But she engaged, engaged in, in insider trading, and they tried to lie about it. And, and you know, she didn't get out of it. Do you realize that there was a Senate resolution passed, a Senate motion, Senate whatever. The Senate voted and passed overwhelmingly now toward a new law. The House has not yet ratified it, so it's not yet a law that people in Congress cannot engage in insider trading. Do you know that currently, without that law passed, what that tells us? Our representatives can engage in insider trading? Are you kidding me? I'm not saying you should protest any of these things. But I'm saying the fact that Jesus said cooperate with the tax thing, cooperate, collaborate in a way with the occupation forces, we're not bound by that today. Because we have a lot more liberty. And, you know, and I'm not going down to restart the Occupy Boston protests, although I did think about joining them while they were down there. Um, look, super PACs. You know about, do you keep track of the super PAC thing? We had campaign finance reform, you know, uh, gee, a couple decades ago. But forget it. Because now corporations are people too, and super PACs, they can, you know, as long as they don't coordinate with the candidate, yeah, right. Uh, you know, watch Colbert about non-coordination. Um, Super. It just, do you realize? It costs tens of millions of dollars to run for office at the federal level. You know, for senator or for president or And you depend on money from corporations. And then you win all, why are those corporations paying? Because when you win office, they want their favors back. We do not live in a democracy. Arguably, we live in a legalized kleptocracy. Are there a thing, kleptomaniacs, kleptocracy? You know, you see, it's different in Asia. You know, not all countries. Some countries like Singapore, yay, Singapore, you know, clean. But some countries in Asia, you know, I might want to go back one day. I don't want to be blacklisted. I'll get blacklisted for saying I might be blacklisted. Um, at least in Asia, you know, you pay one guy, a clerk, a little bit of money to get what you want. It's a bribe, but it's a little bit. Of, it's a small bribe. In America, your company has to pay a big bribe. Should we protest that? Well, you know, really the point is this. I'm not trying to urge you to protest or not protest. I mean, these are individual decisions. The only point I'm trying to make is when Jesus took one extreme and said, look, you can cooperate with the taxes thing, even though it subsidizes an occupying force. That were, he was in a context where he was avoiding civil war, avoiding the destruction of the nation. If our context is different, then our application may be a bit broader. The real point is, Jesus told them, only for God do you protest, because you're going to live or die. 
we obviously have to be willing to die for God. But in America, we won't. But we have a lot more liberty in this country to protest. You know, in many respects, we're more Asian than we are American. There's an old Chinese proverb, a colleague of mine in Singapore told me, is there's two places, I think I mentioned it to you, there's two places where a man never goes. Or man, there's two places where a man tries to avoid at all costs. The door to hell and the door to the government office. In a country that's dictatorial and corrupt, you avoid politics. But we're in America. And most of you are second gen. We have a lot more liberty than the first gen ever imagined they would have. So we can engage in politics. Jesus doesn't tell us we have to or doesn't tell us where. But on some issues, it really, we really must. And on other issues, we can let somebody else worry about it. Or we can just say this is not important enough. My basic point is, we're not constrained by the restrictions Jesus put down in this text because we don't live under this kind of government that he lived under. And for the rest of it, we have to ask God to guide us case by case, issue by issue. Let's pray together. Jesus, we do ask you for your guidance. The guidance of the Spirit and for tolerance toward each other when we differ. That we might engage with our society on those issues that we have to engage on. That we might cooperate with our society on all issues where we can cooperate. And give us the wisdom, Father, to know the difference and the grace to live with each other if we differ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you guys please arise for worship?